786. Oh, boy. Uh, let's try it again. Hello. How you doing, man? Good, good. Hey, I just left a message on Mr. Dowdy's voicemail. Mr. Who? Mr. Dowdy. I don't know. I titled 4869. Or it says, my father said, that boy could fuck up a one-man rock fight. That boy could tear up an animal. Here we go! Games, we talk games. Arcade Weekly. Today we're not going to do Arcade Weekly, but we're going to do a game. No, we're not even going to do a game, but we're going to have someone special on the show. Not only that, but it's tied in with a game, although that game would later come out for a different system, and we'll talk about that, and then we'll get that game out of the way so we can talk about some real shit. I uh, wonder why they call you Wiggly. Where'd you get that name? (laughs) That's such a boring story. Oh, no, I don't want to hear the boring story. I'm not, I'm not interested in the truth. I'm interested in the myth. You need to come up with a good myth story. The myth of Mojo is much better than the real story. You know? I got you. And, of course, that's an unrecognizable voice. No, it's a very recognizable voice of Mojo Nixon on the other line there. How's everybody doing out there? First of all, we have to get the game part out of the way so that we could get down to shop, talk brass tacks about what is Mojo Nixon. So, uh, But to answer your question, actually, Wiggly Fred and the Cabbage Go-Go was when I released my first 45 in 1983. My band was called Epicurean for a long time. And when we released this album, it sounded more like, I don't know, not like what an Epicurean would sound like, which would be like a hard rock type of stuff. And we had a big skull in back of us, and I came out of a coffin with a lightsaber and all this other business. So The, de- the devil was probably involved. <laughs> you know, I think that was the time I was most Christian. I think that, isn't that always the way? We were playing our records backwards and everything like that and getting scared in the basement. But we recorded this album, and I drew up the album art because I, uh, you know, I did all art and all shit. So our records come back from Canada, by the way, and they come back, and the whole group opens them up, and it says Wiggly Fred and the Cabbage Go Go, and everybody's like, "What the hell's going on?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I changed our band name." So <laughs> it was four months in the process that reveal. Well, switcheroo there, yes. Yes. My name was Wayne McFred. Wiggly was another guy. And somehow Wiggly stuck with me because I I guess because I was out there doing flips in the front. So what's the story of, uh, not the story, what is the oranges, as our leader says, what is the oranges of Mojo Nixon? Well, you know, uh, part of this is true. I was on a cross-country bicycle trip from San Diego to Danville, Virginia, where I grew up. And I got to thinking that I shouldn't, you know, before that, I was like trying to be Mick Jagger or David Bowie. That's what we called him down south. Sure. You know, Bruce Springsteen. And, uh, you know, and I was just imitating some you know, rock star of the week. And I thought I should do 
what I do best, which is bullshit. My art, my art is getting a little boogie woogie, kind of a hillbilly boogie woogie going, not unlike John Lee Hooker, and then start just talking crazy shit over it. And in my mind, Richard Nixon had gone to Louisiana and he had fucked Miss Rudolph, who was the voodoo lady in the Richard Pryor Mudbone skits. And, and I had been born in Pigfoot, Louisiana, which is very hard to find on a map. I'd been born in Pigfoot, Louisiana, and my goal in life was to somehow combine Richard Pryor and Jerry Lee Lewis into one unholy amalgamation. And did you succeed? Yes, I, I succeeded way, way. You know, being Mojo... Or I was Kirby McMillan. Kirby McMillan, that's a fine name. It is. Mojo Nixon has a mythical connotation. And, and, and it allowed me to do things that Kirby McMillan couldn't do. And then after a while, there really was no difference. Uh, mm. Mojo Nixon was just who Kirby McMillan wanted to be. You know? exactly. And so, like, I'm not that talented. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm completely and utterly full of shit. <laughs> my my uh, talent is in my BS. And I, I overperformed. We we made we made like ten albums. We toured around the world. I got on MTV. Yeah. I did a fucking movie. You know, I did a bunch of movies. In fact, you know, I'm not only. Uh, I don't know if you would, did. You want to talk about Redneck Rampage, or did you want to talk about Super Mario Bros? Well, first of all, I want to get into Super Mario Bros. But I'm still interested in hearing about your uh, parallels to Evil Knievel from Butte, Montana. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, on tour. A bullet ad, my manager, we were in uh, Montana and we went and went and bought some evil Knievel artwork. That's, you know, that evil Knievel right. is, you know, <laughs> evil Knievel is kind of like Elvis on acid. And, <laughs> and Elvis is already fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. the great thing about Elvis, Elvis could do the greatest thing and the stupidest thing <laughs> in the same five minutes and not really know the difference. You know, Elvis kind of sums up America in a nutshell. Evil Knievel is doing that, you know, on a motorcycle. But anyway, we went up in, uh, in Billings, Montana. We went to a restaurant where his sister worked, and she had some of his paintings down in the basement, and we bought them. And I tell you what, one of them stood on my wall for like two or three years, and my wife, my wife was laid on the couch. She goes, from here, it looks like a chicken. It was a chicken all along. The painting was so bad, it took her three years to see the chicken. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I, I, have, a, I have a poster of uh, something he painted of the Iron Horse Catwalk. Now, if you're telling me that his paintings weren't that good, was he also bullshitting about doing a painting of him doing Iron Horse Catwalk? Well, you know, my painting... <laughs> Kind of looked like a paint by numbers run amok. Okay, okay. Like, like there had been an outline. Yeah. And then the lines begin to blur, you know. <laughs> I, I heard that he was one of the first choices to uh, restore that Jesus painting. It's a terrible joke because I can't remember the name of that, that whole debacle. But that, uh, if you know that Jesus face, <laughs> it looks like it melted. Oh, that was, that was, yeah, I can't. You're not talking about the Shroud of Truth. You're no. talking about something over in Italy or yeah, something, right? Yeah, yeah, the lady that restored it. <laughs> it looked like a coconut with a Mr. Potato Head stuff stuck on it. But, uh, yeah, I started, first Mojo gigs were in, the cross-country bike trip was in 82. First Mojo gigs were in 83 in a place called the Texas Tea House in San Diego. Turned out there was a little music scene in San Diego. I'd moved out there to be with a girl. 
that didn't work out, but I met Country Dick, Country Dick Montana later, the Beat Farmers, and Country mm-hmm. Dick and the Snuggle Bunnies, and the Pleasure Barons that me and him and Dave Alvin did. And so me and him became buddies. And San Diego was a good place to kind of launch from. If you're in L.A., one, there's a lot of temptation, and two, there's a lot of kind of sleazy record company guys. Mm. In San Diego, they left us alone. So we could work on our thing and then go up there and play and then just drive back afterwards. And we got to play. We played a lot of gigs with X and the Blasters and Los Lobos and Dwight wow. Yoakam and, and, you know, and all, all, and all the other bands below that. You know, this would be in the early 80s. We played with we played with every one of those motherfuckers, and that was a little kind of a cow punk. A lot of people had this similar idea at the same time. I'm going to take the energy that I love from the Clash and the Sex Pistols, and I'm going to combine it with Hank Williams, Chuck Berry, and Johnny Cash. Right. And so, right. And I I had the same idea. Uh, you know, I heard, like when I you know heard Jason and the Scorchers, I'm like, holy shit, you know, you know, and every town kind of had a cow punk band that was playing. Uh, roots music loud and fast and i sure, thought sure. well i'll play loud and fast and i'll be funny too i'll you know i'll be funny like jerry reed you know and then on an acoustic guitar with a with a country boomba yeah, yeah, yeah somebody got to be the court jester of this movement i anoint me <laughs> that is a good summarization i don't even know what the hell you call it it's a good it's good what it is yeah but mojo's good bullshit bullshit is my business and business is good well that's what reminded me of knievel uh, he walked from like butte to washington dc or something so that he could make sure that little johnny kennedy wouldn't see the bald eagle like he saw the buffalo on a nickel or so. i can't i got the story all wrong but the parts are there well, uh, the point, uh, right, Evil Knievel, to quote Kinky Freeman, Evil Knievel is a great American, you know, and, and Evil Knievel is batshit crazy. That, that's, why we, you know, that's why we love it. Do as he says, not as he does. They see this cane with its golden crown. Some of them smile, but most of them frown. For them, when it's over at the end of the day, some can relax, but I go to pray. Uh, like I said, the parts are there, but they're in the wrong order. That's a good intro. Let's get the Super Mario Bros. in here so we could continue to not talk about games before me so, right here well hold on now before, no, wait, let me get <laughs> right before me i have the laser disc the letterbox laser disc and it says it's a bust oh wait it's a blast says the washington post and it's got the bob hoskins and the leguizamo and the dennis hopper and uh, this ain't no game it's a live action thrill ride how you like that live action thrill ride it's a bright Clamorous extravaganza, says the L.A. Times. The failing L.A. Times. Is that... <laughs> I don't see anything about Toad in here, but we got to talk about no, Toad. The reason know, that I went to the theater was to see Toad. A friend of mine was the extras casting director. Okay. Her name's Laura Mae Finn Cannon. She uh, heard her husband are still doing... I saw where they were working on... Uh, on The Walking Dead, they have an office in Wilmington and an office in Atlanta now. But anyway, she had been involved with a band, the Flat Duo Jets, in, in Athens. I think I'd been, already been in Great Balls of Fire. I was in this movie, Great Balls of Fire, with Johnny Doe okay. and Jimmy Bond and Dennis Quaid. And I played the drummer in the band. So I'd already been in a movie. I already had my card. And she calls and said, look, we're trying to get Tom Waits. But he wants, like, Tom Waits wanted, like, let's say $100,000. Mm-hmm. 
And I said something like, you can get a second time, second rate Tom Waits for a third of that price. You just better hire me. <laughs> and uh, and sure enough, they did. They hired me. And here's you know here's the thing. I can't really act. I can only be me. Sure. Yeah, if you if if you want me to be me, I'm that, that's good. If you want me to fucking have feelings or show emotions, no. <laughs> but it was filmed down in Wilmington. Uh, I was familiar with the area because my my grandmother and my mother had a beach house near there at Holden Beach. Okay. So it was down. At, it was at this cement factory in Castlehane, uh, North Carolina, which is outside of Wilmington. And I'm in it. Here's the. I'm in a movie with Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Dennis Hopper is in a fucking movie. You know, he's Dennis Hopper is in a in a movie with James Dean. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and he's in a movie with Tony Basil. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> hey, they wanted me to play a couple songs. I remember Bob Hoskins is like the third the scene where they're turning me into the Goomba. Mm-hmm. That, you know, right? They said that scene. Bob Hoskins pulls me. He goes, "Dude, dude." He goes, "I know you're a musician. I'm really an actor." He goes, "But you know, they're not going to keep you any of these takes to like take five. He says, "You shouldn't act till take five. He says, "In your case, you shouldn't even act till take eight. Because I'm just overacting. You know, I'm chewing up the scene. They're all giving me, you know, hints. But I got to tell you, when Dennis Hopper turned on the Dennis Hopper crazy." I wasn't acting. I was afraid. Yeah. I was afraid of that short, crazy motherfucker. <laughs> you know, he was the guy. I was sitting in that chair, and all of a sudden, they pulled me back real fast, and that was true fear. I tell you, uh, I got there. The, the production was troubled. There, <laughs> on a, that's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you remember the there was a husband and wife team that were the directors, mm. and uh, they had done uh, Max Headroom. Oh, they oh they did okay. Yeah, so but but they had some ideas, and this guy and they, and this producer on it, uh, Roland Joppy, had, had all kind of great ideas. But not, not, you know, none of them came to fruition. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, anyway, I got there. It was like uh, eight or nine o'clock in the morning, and one of the directors is sitting at a picnic table crying, and the other one is walking in circles yelling. And I go, fuck, man, this is not good. And then, so I think they were about to be fired, but they fired the director of photography instead. Uh. So it was a troubled thing. They were just in way over their heads in terms of uh, the action scenes and the, you know, there were way too many parts and it was just too, you know, uh, it was freaking them out. The other thing is that I was supposed to be there for like four days. I ended up being there for three weeks. In fact, one point, yeah, because they kept, you know, well, we got to reshoot it. We got to re. We got to that thing where my head turns into the lizard. That took a whole week of fucking around. <laughs> and uh, at one point, I got on a plane in Myrtle Beach. I'm like walking up to the plane. Somebody comes running out and grabs me. No, you got to come back. I go. It's going to cost. They go. Yeah, yeah. We pay for the whole week. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know Super Mario Brothers was like the Doctor Moreau. You can just tell. Everybody was just kind of walking around like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. But, but yeah. that haircut, though. Yes, the haircut was good. And uh, Was that real? Oh, yeah, that was real. Because you still got Everybody all your Everybody had locks. crazy haircuts. I tell you, we had these crazy haircuts, which took a lot of maintenance. So hmm. many days when I was there, Fisher Stevens was sitting next to me in the you know hair chair. Mm-hmm. And at the time... 
He was fucking Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh. And I must have talked to him for five hours. He didn't mention it once. Not once. <laughs> you know, I would have had a T-shirt, a sign. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably why Michelle Pfeiffer liked him. Anyway, but at the time, he was fucking Michelle Pfeiffer and was just sitting, you know, and we were talking bullshitting. Because on a movie set, you know, you're there 12 hours a day. And you end up doing, you know, maybe an hour's worth of work. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot lot of bullshit, you know. You mentioned about being uh, low rent, what have you. But in my opinion, when I was thinking about it and thinking about how much you and I have, like, these intersections of very, very similar things, I was like, I'm like the Bush League Mojo Nixon because I was on a set of Hairspray. (laughs) And now you just tell me about this haircut thing. I was on, you know, the hairspray back the John Waters uh, back right. in, the, in the 80s or whatever. And I'm sitting next to this guy getting my haircut. And he's like, oh, it's nice weather, isn't it? And I, <laughs> I don't know why I put that twang on it, but it looks like it's good weather. And I don't do small talk. I said, yeah, yeah. And I'm like thinking to myself, okay, old man, whatever. And then it's Sonny Bono. So I'm sitting next to Sonny Bono here. We're the only two sitting on his bench. I'm getting my hair cut because I'm going to be an extra doing this, being this uh, interviewer and talking about overacting. I wanted to make sure that, that I was going to be on the floor. You know what I mean? Because I was, I was doing my slug worst from, uh, from uh, Willy Wonka. You know, I was going back and forth between Deborah Harry and, and Sonny Bono. But besides that, what do I tell him? I don't know if he was a mayor or whatever the hell he was. I know he's in trying to get shit to go through in Washington about some... Uh, well, yeah, he did the mayor of Palm Springs and then he was a congressman. You right, know, right, and, not, and not only did he fuck Cher, but he was <laughs> fucking Phil Spector's right-hand man for five years. Oh, my. That's what I would have fucking talked to him about. Oh, my. Well, what I did was I said, I, you're great on Love Boat. On Love Boat. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't... I doubt anybody remembers this, but he was an... He was supposed to be like an Alice Cooper person. Supposed to be like, yeah, yeah big, uh, had, scary heavy metal guy. Yeah, and he had like, I think he had dollar signs over his eyes instead of the makeup. And, he, and, he, and he's saying, crash it, smash it, hit it with a hammer and bash it. Ugh! And he smashed this balsa wood guitar. And he went, Ugh! like that. And that's what I told him. That it was, you know, that's what I was proud of him about. I'm sure, so, sure he was gleaming. He was gleaming on the inside. He said, ah, thanks. <laughs> I think I'm going to go ski into a tree now. <laughs> that was horrible. Oh, my God. What's wrong with me? But, you, you know, Super Mario Brothers. Yes, let's do I, that. I, never, I, I didn't really know anything about the game. Uh, neither did the movie. I don't, think the, I don't think the movie has anything to do with the game either. No. You know, I think they were just going to use the, you know, games are getting popular. They're just going to use the name to try to get people in the theater. Sure. And that movie, you know, that it's one of those movies that shows on Saturday afternoon on the Weird Channel mm. for free. So lots of people have seen it because people who didn't have cable TV, they don't show Star Wars on the off-brand channel on Saturday afternoon. They show shitty, shitty movies like Super Mario Brothers or Great Balls of Fire. They just got the Mojo Collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Any other interesting things that happen on that set? Because I'm very interested in knowing. Told me the atmosphere of the people sweating bullets, but what about the the talent? There's a lot of talent. Like I said, like I just saw the woman. She's in uh, Killing Eve. Uh, you know, what's her name? Fiona Shaw. 
She's in there, you know, she's a big English actress. Everybody was just kind of freaked out that uh, it was clear that the directors and the producers had a runaway train and didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Nothing made any sense. It was one of those, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it in the mix. Right. We're going to fix, gonna it, fix it in the straight crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know. A lot of beef. Right, yeah, we're going to hire an editor. <laughs> yeah, but you're editing shit. It's, <laughs> right. you know. Crap goes in, crap comes out. Yeah, and then I, I told you, Roland Joppy, one of the producers, we went to some wingding at his house up in L.A., and he, he took me in the back. His original ideas were all kind of like the Wizard of Oz or something. They're really, really fantastic, mm-hmm. but none of, that, none of that's in the movie at all. I can so. see that happening. I, and I can see that happening as to falling through that that world when when they go through the, the right. So uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like a parallel Wizard of Oz idea, and it was going to be all kind of magical and for little kids and you know, but adults too. But uh, none of that got in the movie. Uh, you know, hey, I took their money, and one of the smart things I did, I sang two songs, oh. and then I got co- I copyrighted them. And I only sang for like whatever. 20 seconds, but I think you only have to sing seven. Mm. And so once you sing seven seconds, then you get, and I, there were songs I wrote. So I'm still getting nickels and dimes. That's great. That's you know? great. Yeah. yeah. That's still still get money in the mailbox from it. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that haircut was really crazy. My, my son, my older son, the beast, I, we were originally, we called him the motherfucker, but you know, once you start going to school, we had to change that. Yeah. But uh, Ruben, my older son, he got the. He came to the set one day with me. He got the haircut. Wow. He's older, you know. And anyway, his grandmother went crazy. So he's like ten. His grandmother went crazy. She's like going to throw him out of the house. But if you can't throw him, but put a hat on, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm not joking when I said that I went to the movie because you were part of it, and that that's actually true because back then. It was like the West Caddy Playground. You got, you know, DK, CJ, BFs coming there. And Mojo Nixon was definitely part of that punk scene. That was a big deal between my friends and I to see Mojo Nixon in in this big deal movie. Now, I didn't know about Great Balls of Fire, although I did sing a the, song called Great well, Balls of Fire. Well, you know, we, uh, you know, we played, me and Jello, you know, the record together, and we're buddies, but we played the last Dead Kennedy show. Me and Skid, along with Seven Seconds, and maybe Frank, the lesbian folk singer. So, but uh, I'd already met Jello before that at some other thing. You say you're, you're in Pennsylvania there? Yeah, yeah. West, yeah, yeah, was West Caddy Playground was a big, big place that got all the punk bands back in the, in the day. And they would have two headliners and one local band. Of course, the local band would get ripped to shreds. You know? <laughs> well, you know, it was the Dead Milkman, one of the most... More famous than Elvis is everywhere is the Dead Milkman mentioned me in their song, Punk Rock Girl. Yes. Uh, which was fucking like number one on MTV for a week. You know, it was fucking huge. Yes. That's another thing about uh, our intersections, I think. you, Jesus, you did so much with music, but uh, there used to be a, a running aside when I'd be on stage with uh, Trapdoor, and that was, how do you make Wiggly angry? Make him watch MTV for five seconds, and that was that. I mean, that was that well, was you, it. It was so dry and. Right. Well, you know, I did those promos for MTV. There's two. That was uh, Mark Pellington and uh, what was that other guy's name? Um, Ted Demi's uh, cousin um, or nephew. Uh, Jonathan. Demi, yeah, Ted Demi was his name. Jonathan Demi's uh, nephew. I said I won't do it unless you agree to these fifty things. They agreed to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> And, but my thinking was, 
you know, well, you know, it was all, you know, I'll have creative control. I can say no to anything. But you can't burn something unless I approve it. You got to pay me. You got to pay Skid. You got, you know, I, I had. But my thinking was, if I didn't do it, a high school girl in Des Moines, Iowa, was never going to hear about Mojo Dixon. Yeah. So if I did do it, there'll be, you know, there'll be some chance with a high school girl, you know, in Des Moines, Iowa. And MTV, you know, once MTV realized that they could make money making journey videos, because MTV started out being kind of hip because oh, only yeah. the hip bands had videos. Oh yeah, right. But that but that only lasted a short time. Once they realized Journey and Van Halen could make videos, they were in the business of making money and selling advertising. Remember, they had like Randy of the Red Rose, and they had other kind of oddball characters in their promos to make them appear to be hipper than they were. Mm-hmm. And then that's when they wouldn't play my song Debbie Gibson's Pregnant with My Two Headed Love Child. Because I made fun of Debbie Gibson, yes. Tiffany, Spudge McKenzie. That's what really hurt them. Rick Ashley and Spudge McKenzie. They couldn't <laughs> have that. Right, yeah. I guess Budweiser's sponsorship are right. Uh, right, Budweiser's right? paying them a ton of money. So, you know, the uh, there's a movie. I don't know if you know this. There's a movie about me. My bass player made. It's called The Mojo Manifesto. That's also the title of the 10-CD box set. And oh. uh, the movie was supposed to... One, it's unbelievable it's any good. The bass player made it. And two, <laughs> you know, it, it's all you know, it's all the good me. You can make a whole other movie that's just bad me. <laughs> me making one shitty decision after another. That's not in this movie. And um but the kind of the crux of the movie is we're on the verge of, you know, really not getting famous, but you know, going big mm-hmm. and M T V won't we I've got one Nona Ryder yeah. in my Debbie Gibson video and they won't play it. At that point, I realized, oh, I've wildly exceeded my expectations. <laughs> I shouldn't have got this far. It was just, you know, <laughs> luck and chance. Right, some, a lot of it has to do with just being in the right place at the right time. Uh, and, of course. And also, you know, not giving up, you know. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I refuse to give up. <laughs> that comes through. Now, before I get into Winona Ryder, <laughs> and this is a stupid question, uh, but it actually was relevant to me at the time because I had disdain as well. But were you a Debbie Gibson or a Tiffany? Because you couldn't be both. No, nah, you know, I just thought, same way I thought, this goes back to stuff in Martha's Muffin. I just thought it was funny that kind of high school girl next door, mm-hmm. high school cheerleader kind of girls were trying to be sexy or they were trying to compete with Madonna. Mm. Madonna's pure pussy. You can't. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that Martha Quinn was introducing Madonna. You know, and I also <laughs> thought it was funny that Debbie Gibson was trying to compete with Madonna. Mm. Hey, Madonna's going out fucking you all the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. So Debbie but, Gibson uh, does have perfect pitch, but I was definitely a Tiffany person myself. Well, Tiffany, when we made Elvis is Everywhere, mm. is a studio in L.A. Yeah. Our producer, producer Ron Gowdy, at Enigma Records, Ron Gowdy, was always finding the cheapest studio. It was in North Hollywood. It's called George Tobin Studio. And sitting on the couch while we were cutting Elvis is Everywhere was Tiffany doing her algebra homework because George Tobin was the guy behind Tiffany and was going to make her a star. Wow. She was already yeah. in mud wrestling by the time that that nah, video yeah, came yeah, about. Nothing to that. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah I mean, she didn't really. She looked like she must have really been able to sing or something. She didn't have any makeup on, but she looked like a fourteen-year-old girl. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, that's like uh, Katy Perry now. Like, uh, you know, I don't know who the hell she is, but any movie that was in 3D, I had a 3D television, I had to get it. And then you see her and you're like, why the hell you put makeup on? You, you, look, you look like a person when you're just being a person. Anyway, we had, both of you and I, I'm sure, have to worry a lot about that as well. <laughs> but uh, did, what's interesting is that Winona Ryder played Debbie Gibson in your Debbie Gibson video. And Debbie Gibson played Winona Ryder in Primus's Winona's Big Brown Beaver video, which is a lie. I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all like the Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy, and Kennedy had. Oh, that's so right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good right. place to. In my mind, it was funny. But so, how did Winona Ryder come about? Winona was in Great Balls of Fire. She oh, was the teenage bride. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. She right. Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee married his 13-year-old cousin. He sure did. There's nothing more punk rock than fucking your 13-year-old cousin. You know? Right. Yeah. Johnny Rotten, Johnny Rotten's a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry Lee's fucking his 13-year-old cousin. <laughs> Which, I don't know why uh, I was a punk before you were a punk springs to mind. I mean, what well, what was that about? Well, well how about this? So, I, hear, I haven't told you this story. So I graduated from college in 79. I moved to England, and I lived in a squat in Brixton, and my goal was to join the Clash. Wow. Now, later, through the Pogues, we opened for a couple tours of the U.S., I met Joe Strummer, and he goes, oh, you weren't the only one. He (laughs) says, man, it was some crazy straight motherfucker showing up once a day, you know. Wow. Wow. But yeah, I used to, and I used to sing in the tube stations, Fucking right down in the tube stations at midnight. Sure. I'd sing fucking songs to make money. And I was living in the squat in Brixton, living out my uh, punk rock fantasies. That's amazing. Skid Roper. So let's talk about Skid Roper. How did you two get together? And that's sort of really when it took off, right? That's when you took off. Skid Roper was around San Diego. And we were both just hanging around a lot. His main band was a surf band. Okay. Called the Evasions. And there was a little bit of a, in the early 80s, a surf revival in Southern California. Mm. And he was part of that. And he also played in Country Dick and the Snuggle Bunnies, which had Joey Harris and Paul Kamansky and a bunch of, and that was Country Dick's first kind of hillbilly rock and roll band. Country Dick later was in the Beef Farmers. And most of the time he played the mandolin, the Snuggle Bunnies, but occasionally he'd just play a washboard on a stick. I said, why don't you play a drum with me, just like a snare drum? It'll just be primitive. It'll be like the two of us. It'll be kind of like Jonathan Richmond or something. He goes, no, no, I don't want to play a snare drum. I'll play the washboard on the stick. Yeah. And that's how, And so that was our way, you know, that was 83. At some point in 84, we uh, recorded an album, the first album's worth of songs in a garage at Joey Harris's uh, mom's house. And then uh, Ron from Enigma got hold of it. And, and I go, well, that's just a demo. We can go make make a better record. He goes, oh, no, I'm putting this out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he goes, your, your next record will be a better record. I go, okay. No, that that's great. That's a great sound. Right. So, you know, the first record had Jesus at McDonald's on it. Mm-hmm. That got played a little bit. Stuff in Martha's Muffin got played a whole bunch. Then Burned Down the Malls and made a video. That got played on 120 Minutes all the time. <laughs> then we got like a, we got a good booking agent, the same guy that booked the Pogues and a bunch of the other alt bands out of New York. 
so we started touring. We toured a lot. We camped for band Beethoven because they were the only other band on the West Coast. That's funny. I was going to mention yeah. them for some reason. Yeah, a lot of live mushrooms. <laughs> we ate a lot. There is a dent in the mushroom supply somewhere. Maybe that's why you were towed. <laughs> that came back around full circle. Yes. And uh, so, and then, you know, really got going. Then we started, you know, we had a tour opening for the Pogues. We opened up for NRBQ a bunch. We played, you know, all over the country. We toured constantly. We made video. And then Elvis is everywhere. Before Elvis is everywhere, there's nothing but dudes at the shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a sausage fest. Yes. Dick City. Yes. <laughs> but finally, uh, Elvis is everywhere. And they're, they're showing the video. And girls, they would come, but they were just designated drivers. You know, they were just there to drive their drunk boyfriend home. Gotcha. Yeah. And they would make like a deal. Like, if you'll go see this crappy movie I want to go see, I'll take you to the crappy Mojo Nixon show. <laughs> How long were your sets? Like 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Or did you have a full show that you could ever do? Or? Yeah. It, you know, it started early on. It was 45 minutes. And then eventually it became more like 90. Mm-hmm. The more I talked <laughs> and the more songs we had. And then, you know, opening would be different than headlining. But uh, sure, sure. Yeah. Not 90 minutes. Just two people is fucking exhausting. Yeah. Right. Because you got it right. You got to do a lot of work to keep the beat. Absolutely. Plus, and I got frustrated. The, the, two, the duo was great. It was great to do the duo because it meant, you know, we only had three people on the road. We only had to get one motel room. We were making money, even when we weren't making money. Other people had eight people with them. Mm-hmm. They had a sound man and a t shirt guy and a, a light guy and a roadie. We didn't have any, we had one guy with us, you know, me, Skid, Bullethead. So like opening for the Pogues, they had eight people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we could set up in front of them, in front of their monitors and everything. Sure. And they didn't have to move anything. Right. Same thing. We, NRBQ were these old, old grizzled veterans who didn't want to move their gear. <laughs> so we could set up in front of them. And like I said, we were making money. So that was good. But I got tired. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to rock like the replacement. I was tired of sitting down because this whole time I'm sitting down like an old blues man stomping my foot on the Mojo healing board and, uh, you know, heals you of your uh, afflictions. Right. And I skid standing up. You can only do so much. You can only rock so hard sitting down, you know, stomping on a board. Did you ever perform with a larger band? Oh, yeah. After, you know, so skid didn't want to be in the band. Things, things had run their course. So, yeah, no, I had a band. I had, for a little while there, I had Dave Alvin's band, and they had my own band, the Toad Lickers, and I still got them. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I got, yeah, they're, they, they're still doing my bidding 20, 30 <laughs> years later. I've ruined their lives. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, shit, what was it? Oh, Skid Roper. I just wanted to ask you, Mr. Roper or Mr. F- Don Knotts, Mr. Furley? Say what now? <laughs> the question is, and this is as far as it's framed, <laughs> Mr. Roper or Mr. Furley? Which one? You choose. I don't know. I think Don I, don't think I saw them shows. I saw somebody oh. on the show, right? I yeah, don't know. Three's Company. Yeah. Three's Company. Yeah. Nah, by Three's Company... I was already in bands. I was in bars. I was, you know, trying to get laid, trying to get drunk, trying to get high. 
I don't, you know, I've never seen an episode of Happy Days. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know why? Because I'm not happy. I'm <laughs> fucking pissed off at the world. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, and, um, it didn't have very much yeah, to do so with Yeah, so I missed time. a lot of stuff. The other thing, I had this song, I had a couple songs in this early CD-ROM game, mm-hmm. uh, Redneck Rampage. Okay, okay, and okay. So they had, a, they had a couple of Mojo songs, and they had a couple of uh, Beat Farmer songs, and a couple of uh, Reverend Horton Heat songs, and it was an answer on Jeopardy. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> And, and uh, a bazillion years ago, but um, they surely didn't know what is Redneck Rampage. <laughs> Redneck Rampage uh, had a character on it, you know, and it was one of those early games, CD-ROM, so it was mm-hmm. kind of you know primitive. Yeah. But his whole, he would just come out and go, "Get off my land! Yeah, Get yeah. off my land!" Yeah, yeah. When they did Redneck Rampage two, I was commissioned to compose a theme. For it, and I wrote a song called Redneck Rampage. It's on one of my records. It's on Sacre Blue. And I was trying, you know, I had this riff that I'd stolen from Ike and Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they stole it from somebody else. And uh, I, and I said, I'm going to make this song dumber than Molly Hatchet. And it was, <laughs> it was an effort, but I did it. <laughs> you succeed. You remember the Residents had a had a, a CD-ROM game? I don't know if you remember that. That was kind of a weird one. It's like the Residence Funhouse, and these are games that basically you just sort of walked around and did right. weird things, and it was on CD-ROM. So right, it, it was earlier. It was very early in the right animation and stuff. Right, it was right, really, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So you just mentioned so many things that has a cross-section with things that I was, of course, you know, this show's all about me. You know, I'm trying to put myself over. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, really, I mean, I, I try to not do any research because I think that's the best way to try to interview someone is not knowing anything. No, but I am just go off memory. And uh, I, I remember a lot of good things. But before we move on, you just mentioned Sacre Blue. And I named one of our keyboardists Fakre Blue. Fakre Blue because she wore blue and she was fockable. <laughs> and the fock was, I, w- I wasn't into cursing. And Trapdoor came out as a comic book in 1987. And then we made it into a band because it was a comic book about the band. And that was both ways and i would always replace fuck f-o-c-k instead of fuck this was in 87 and the guy that i did the comic with he's you know he's a big big shot in uh, hollywood and everything doing the scooby-doo and the teenage mutant ninja turtles and the politically correct ghostbusters and all that other type of stuff he's a big shot and very very proud for him uh, happy for him but there's one, Fockery Blue, which is, that's not, that's kind of tenuous. That's not, that's not very good, but we well, both have a, uh, but much more so. Uh, there was this rock and roll comics in San Diego and the guy was doing unauthorized comics. So you do like Van Halen and Metallica and they would sue it. <laughs> I got you. But he did a Mojo comic. It was the only one that was authorized and it was all a lie. Everything in the comic. <laughs> right. And uh, ZZ Top is in the first half of the comic. And then Mojo is in the second half wow. uh, of the comic. It's called Rock and Roll Comics. This crazy guy in San Diego. I have to see if I have any episode, uh, any issues of that. You can you can buy it online. It doesn't cost that much. I I see it on there every now and then. You know, when I'm looking to see to see all the greatness of me. Yeah, you know. <laughs> of course. I want to see that. So Elvis influenced my life. I think I was maybe 13 when I finally asked for like a Steppenwolf album. 
before that, it was all, all like Dicky Do and the Don'ts and Haley and uh, and Elvis and maybe a little bit of Tom Jones if I was feeling frisky as I was hitting my preteens. But I still have an Elvis ceramic bust in my bathroom of all places. Uh, that I shouldn't have probably said that, but he's got the curled lip and he's got the baby blue shirt with the baby blue lay on him, and one of his uh, glass eyeballs fell out, so he looks even better. So that was a I don't know where I want to go from here. Uh, and one of the first concerts I I think was he was either named Big L or Little L, but of course it was after Elvis supposedly passed away i think that's what you're trying to bring out in uh, your elvis is everywhere song well i think one we're celebrating the greatness of elvis and two we're poking fun at elvis stands and we're seeing you know i'm seeing elvis as a mythical figure like paul bunyan so it works both ways and that song i was doing this chuck berry song Tulane, that was supposed to be for a flex flexi disc for some magazine called the bob gotcha and, and uh in the middle of the song, instead of doing another solo, I started going, uh huh, uh huh. And I, <laughs> how many times I got to do this? That, how many times I got to do this? Uh huh, uh huh. How many times I got to do this? Half of the stuff that's in Elvis is everywhere just poured out of me on stage. Wow. And Bullethead, my roadie at the time, wrote most of it down. We went and recorded it shortly thereafter. The Bob didn't get Elvis's Everywhere. They got the two lane song and, uh, uh, you know, on the record. That album did pretty good. I don't know how many it sold, 100,000, 200,000. At one point, on the top 200 albums, it was like number 147. The only thing I remember, I was ahead of Kenny Rogers. I'm Uh, kicking your ass, Kenny Rogers! That's amazing. That's great. I know exactly what you mean about breaking the top 200. That ain't hey. That's pretty good. Talking about mythical things, I I love Poke Salad Annie. I did a a PXL 2000. I don't know if you remember this. It was a Fisher Price. Fisher Price put out this camcorder that recorded on a cassette and it was the shittiest black and white it was used the technology of a fax machine in order to make videos in a little postage stamp but back then you couldn't afford a camera if you wanted to try to make something you rented it from one day from like a video rental store and it cost you 50 bucks we recorded this pokes out any song and i remember the one line that i changed i never knew what the fuck lines that other people sang were if i did a cover but i remember uh that i said um went into the dentist's office fairy tale fairy tale on my spray i think i said and then it, and then it uh, went uh i saw poor fat old elvis he said i shot jfk so elvis shot jfk that was that was my mythology in yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> so I think you missed out on that opportunity. But you, you did that on Arsenio, right? Yeah, it was actually Joan Rivers' show. Oh. And Arsenio was filling in. The best part is when right, the camera turns around, the whole audience has uh, the uh, Elvis mask on. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you. I remember Cool Mo D. I don't remember too much else about Arsenio. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Arsenio, I remember um, first popular track act. Groove is in the heart, those people. I remember that. I think that's all I remember off of that, off of Arsenio Hall doing stuff. But uh, tell you one thing about it, though. That girl sure could raise the dead. I don't know what I'm talking about there. One week, my buddy and I, the guy that is the famous uh, Hollywood guy, we rented from the place that was across the street from where Blockbuster opened up, of course, and we rented the, the Elvis movie. And, uh, and he goes, tell you what, 
that girl sure could give good head. And then we like couldn't believe it. We went, we rented it again, and Elvis is in the back of the car saying, I'll "Tell you what, that girl really could raise the dead." <laughs> what? How? How did they edit it the same? That's something. That's some power there. That's the power of Elvis. That's man. the power of Elvis. <laughs> he goes from talking about getting head to someone being pretty or something. I guess. And the other thing was that Jesus at McDonald's, that's another crossover. And just to talk a little bit more about myself, Trapdoor played the Red Door Cafe. So that's kind of interesting. I just thought of that now. It was one of our first shows at the Red Door Cafe, which was in the basement of a college. That's a whole biblical thing. But when I got home, I had 104 fever. The rest of the band went to watch the VSS at my our keyboardist's house. Jesus came to me. And I said, Jesus, what do you think about all this censorship that's the big talk of the town? And this ties into like what you were in a second wave of the censorship type of stuff. And I said, what do you think about all the censorship of cursing? And Jesus said to me, he said, Wiggly, you know how you like to look at a girl's butt? And I said, of course. And he goes, well, imagine that butt with dirt and poop all over it. And I was like, oh, I absolutely see what you mean. See, he spoke in parables. This was the real Jesus. This was the real deal. You know, even though I'm atheist. But uh, you were saying that you're not against people cursing. They can. But if you want to keep it sexy and intelligent and, and save it for the right moments, then uh, that's, that's the, what the whole parable is about. So, but you uh, had the Jesus at McDonald's. Was that based on anything? Uh, maybe eating mushrooms. <laughs> yes. You know, it was really based on. I got a bunch of songs that are based on Roadrunner or by Jonathan Richmond or Sister Ray by the Velvet Underground. These are all uh, kind of two. In fact, I saw Jesus at McDonald's at midnight. Might be the same beat as one, two, three, four, five, six. So, uh, you know, I don't have many ideas. I steal other people's best ideas and then kind of glom them onto mine. I have no idea what I was thinking. I just knew, <laughs> I knew that it was going to bother somebody. <laughs> but really, that's my, my whole career has been, you know, to, uh, you know, bother the straight people. <laughs> to, you know, just my mother's 88. I just took her down to the beach and I realized my mother would say, what will the neighbors think? And I don't give a <laughs> fuck what the neighbors think. And in fact, if doing this pisses the neighbors off, I'm going to keep doing it. If, it, if I, I got to wear purple pants every day to make those motherfuckers mad, I'll be like Prince. I'll have purple pants on every day. There's so much more that we could definitely get into, especially with one and share your music, not being ashamed of it. A Trey Gunn of uh, King Crimson said, you know, what are people so ashamed of their music for? Because uh, I was having a problem with my keyboard. She said, what's he, what's he ashamed of? That's been my philosophy as well. I wanted to talk about Pat Robert, Pat uh, Buchanan. Yeah, I was on Crossfire with Pat Buchanan. Yeah, man. I wanted uh, to get into was all supposed that. to do it. And he broke his ankle or something. Okay. And I got pulled on the bench. I, uh, it was to talk about censorship. This is back when uh, fucking uh, Al Gore's wife was right, on a right. uh, rant. Yeah. Rant, and, uh, and one of my big points was, listen to a Frank Sinatra record. Yes. Frank Sinatra's records are all about getting drunk and getting laid yeah. and smoking cigarettes yeah. and staying out till 4 o'clock. You know. How is that any different? Yeah. Than a rap record or a heavy metal record. Yeah, she was just 17. You know what I mean? Well, no, no. What yeah. do you mean? You're going to go to jail? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Right. Records, music, popular music 
is background music for fucking and always has been you know and it's right so if somebody just says the quiet part out loud but anyway i was on with fat buchanan and i remember i had to fly to la i lived in san diego but it was such a time crunch because jello had canceled I had to fly to la and the guy sitting next to me goes and i'm telling him what i'm going to do and he goes, no, no, you should start out calm and then, you know, rev up. Mm-hmm. Well, they fucking, they attacked me. <laughs> Fat Buchanan was like, you know, knocked me down and was kicking me in the teeth for the first minute. So I had to get up off the floor, put him in a headlock, take him over the top rope, battle royale. I got in some good punches later. Absolutely. But I couldn't, you know. Very I remember my, my, my point was, look, you don't get to decide what to censor. Mm. Adults can vote with their wallet. And guess what? This whole idea, oh, we're going to corrupt children. Mm. No, 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 no. (laughs) When I was 12, 10, somebody on the playground said to me, uh, some little rhyme. This is one that goes back a a million years. Line 100 women up against the wall. Bet you five bucks I can fuck them all. Fuck 98, (laughs) my balls turn blue. Took a shot of whiskey. Fuck the other two. I heard that when I was 10. You know, so, <laughs> and a lot worse. But the point being, yeah, I was on the TV and everything. And, uh, you know, causing a little trouble. Hey, Wiggly, hey, man, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on the show, man. If you uh, enjoy it, I hope that you do come back because I got a lot more, and it's not just all about me. And, of course, I want to ask you about the ice capades, which has nothing to do with either of us. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for exposing the world to Toad. Our listeners are from every generation, but like I said, I like to go into it as ignorant as anybody else and uh, hopefully come out the other side a little bit better, of more ignorant. Quigley, thanks a lot for having me on, man. I'll see you out there somewhere. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, what stink? I want to ask Mojo about something. What do you think's going to happen? This guy's going to wait around for you to get off your pizza box? He said about people that, uh, top 10 things people complain about. I was like, well, I want to complain about mom and dad save the world. Because, well, yeah, it's got Terry Gar, it's got John Lovett, but I walked out on that movie. That's what should have been in the top 10. What are you talking about? And that's why I had to switch to whatculture.com. What are you talking about? What do you mean, watchmojo.com? And on that note... Hey, everybody, I hope that you like this. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I'll leave that in, the piss-off guy. Donald Trump wants to make America hate. Donald.
done any drugs. Donald Trump has never been drunk. Donald Trump is a spoiled, rich asshole. You know what, friends? I was talking to Elvis. And Elvis said, Mojo, I did a lot of drugs. And drugs are good. And this is what Elvis said. in England leaked a portion of Stormy Daniels' new tell-all book, Full Disclosure. In the book, Stormy recounts her encounter with Trump in harrowing detail. She describes Trump's penis as smaller than average, but not freakishly small. <laughs> Stormy went into further mind-searing detail, so strap in. He knows he has an unusual penis. It has a huge mushroom head, like a toadstool. I lay there, annoyed that I was getting by a guy with Yeti pubes. And it like the mushroom character in Mario Kart. I came back around full circle with Toad. Yeah.